For today, um, grab your Bible, head over to Matthew chapter 1 and Exodus chapter 33. That's where uh, we're going to be, uh, and uh, we're going to get there in just a, a couple of minutes. Um, you can also follow along on the YouVersion Bible app or look in your bulletin. We'll have some scriptures on the screen as well, but you can follow along in, in any of those ways. Um, when I was five years old, uh, I woke up on Christmas morning in my hometown of Holly, Texas, which is this town of about 600 people outside of a, of a huge metropolis called Abilene, Texas, um, that you've heard of it, right? Um, 100,000 people, so just huge. And so 600 people, I woke up um, and ready to do Christmas, right? And, and the way it worked in my house when I was a kid, I, uh, my parents or my mom always got us uh, Christmas pajamas, on Christmas Eve in order to wear those on Christmas Day so that we could all look the same in pictures. Does anybody's mom put you through that hell? Does anybody want to admit that, all right? Moms want to confess that, okay? Because, all right. So I did that. We did that every year. And you're probably like, my mom's still, I'm 42. My mom's giving me onesies. She's trying to get me to, t so maybe you have a problem. You can talk to your mom later, but so when I was a kid, that's what would happen. We would get these pajamas. And so at five, um, I had two older brothers. I was the youngest. And so I was dressed on Christmas morning at five years old. I was dressed in these red flannel pajamas. And I got up. And at the time, I, I shared a room with my uh, middle brother. And so we woke up before light, right? It's Christmas morning. And Christmas morning in my house was the only time that I was allowed to go into my parents' bedroom before they woke up, okay? That was a big rule in my house. There was a threshold. Everywhere else in the house was wood floor. Their house was carpet. If you step on the carpet before they woke up, you're... That's bad, okay? That's just bad. That's very bad. And so that my whole life, I didn't mess with that because I knew I would get like the wrath of pre-coffee, haven't woken up yet parents, right? Um, and I've carried that tradition into my family now, okay? So I'm, I, now I'm my dad and I'm like, you better run, all right? They wake me up and I'm like, run, <laughs> You're in trouble. So on Christmas morning was the only morning that we were allowed to go wake up my parents. But because we had tasted and seen the wrath that is pre-coffee parents, we were still scared. My brother and I were still scared. And so we went and got back up. We woke up our older brother first, right? So we woke him up. We're like, you do it, all right? You go in there. We're all scared. We're tossing Legos at my dad. He's a huge, like, 6'4", grizzly bear type dude, but teddy bear, but grizzly sometimes. And so we would just kind of toss, like, okay, let's wake him up. Um, and they woke up, and to our surprise and joy, they said, Merry Christmas, and they were smiling, and they got up, and they took us. I was five years old. They took us into the kitchen, and we weren't allowed to go into the living room yet because uh, mom and dad got some coffee, and then they went and set up. My dad went and set up like the TV station-sized camera, right, in the living room on the tripod. It was VHS, so it was like super high-tech. And so that took a while, and uh, he set that up, and then finally he's like, all right, you guys can go. Three boys, we run into the living room, and we find nothing. No presents. Like, there were some presents, but 
In my house, the way it worked is that we would get these Santa presents that were not wrapped. They were always out in front of the tree. And then we would open little presents that were wrapped. And so we would get these Santa presents. And so there were no Santa presents, no big presents out in front of the tree. And so I was found like, what is going on, right? And my brothers had found a note on the ground. And they picked it up. And luckily, my mom said, you know, hey, read that out loud so that Jakey can hear it right? Don't ever call me Jakey, all right? That's, that's mom and wife. Those are the only people that call me Jakey. But they, she said, read it out loud so that Jakey can hear. And so they read it out loud, and basically this note said, there's no presents, there's no candy, there's no chocolate. Merry Christmas. Just kidding. That's not what it said. It said, your present is outside. And so we were like, all right. So we start to go out in the front yard. Now, this is West Texas. So it was like a freezing 65 degrees outside. And so we bundled up. We got the mittens on. And we went outside to check out what this is. And we found in our driveway a Lamborghini. I'm kidding. Not a Lamborghini. Uh, we found in our driveway like a go-kart or a dune buggy. Okay. And so three boys. So we're like, yes, this is awesome. So we're like, can we drive it? And my mom's like, you got to go, you got to get out of your flannel pajamas and you got to go like open the other presents. I don't even remember what we got other than that that year. It was just like, okay, whatever, doom buggy, right? So we went and we had five acres in our, behind our house and on our land. And so we, five, big five acre flat West Texas field. And so we went out and we started to drive this thing. Now, let me pause here for a second and remind you, I was five five years old. But this doom buggy was for all of us, right? This was a group gift. This was an everybody gift. And so this doom buggy was my doom buggy too. And so I went out and we started taking turns. My dad taught us how to do things and we started taking turns. Of course, my two brothers went before me, gets to me. And I'm like, are you sure, dad? Because I don't, I'm scared. Like, I don't know if I can do this. And he's going, no, you'll be fine. I'm like, show me again how to do it. And he shows me again. And he's like, you'll be fine. Wear your helmet. You've got this cage around you. You'll be fine. You can do this, buddy. You can, you can do it, right? And, and he tells me that. And so I just take off full throttle in my field, into the field. And I was doing pretty good. Until I had to turn. And then I just didn't. I just didn't turn. And so I took the doom buggy, the brand new Christmas doom buggy on Christmas morning. I was five. Full throttle into a barbed wire fence. I was okay. I mean, that's debatable. You guys can debate that. But I was okay. Um, I came out pretty much unscathed. Freaked out, but unscathed. The doom buggy, however, didn't make it through that. And so my brothers were ticked at me. And my mom was ticked too, but at my dad. <laughs> so that was awesome. And then I'm freaking out, right? I'm, I'm like, oh man, you know how you get in a car accident or close to a car accident, your adrenaline's pumping and all of that. And I'm, I'm all freaking out and everybody's mad and my brother's will remember it forever, the Christmas, the year Jakey ruined Christmas. <laughs> Took our doom buggy right into a barbed wire fence. Look at the scriptures with me. Matthew chapter 1. 
This is that story of the doom buggy where Jesus was driving it. No. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, it says this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. This should be familiar to you. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Now, isn't it interesting that angels, what do they always say when they show up? Do not fear. It's because they were freaking scary, okay? They were scary. And so he goes, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I want to zero in on verse 23. Let me read it again. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel. Everybody say Emmanuel. Which means God with us. And so God is with us, and Jesus is called Emmanuel before he's born. So this is an important and foundational belief for those of us who would call ourselves Christ followers. This is a foundational doctrine, a foundational belief for us. It's called the incarnation, that God sent his son to live a human life and to (laughs) die for our sins, to be born a human. It's called the incarnation. And so Matthew is quoting the prophet Isaiah here who wrote this about 700 years before Jesus was born. And he's saying the prophet Isaiah said that this baby would be called Emmanuel, which means, Matthew tells us, what? God with us. God with us. Us, God with us. What what this is saying is that Christmas means that God is with you. Christmas, when you think of Christmas, Christmas means God is with you. Emmanuel, God with us. And so I want to talk to you about three aspects of that, okay? Can you hang with me while we talk about three aspects of this whole God with us thing and what Jesus or what Christmas means? So first, Christmas means God is with you. No matter what you've done. Christmas means God is with you no matter what you've done. Listen, I don't know what you've done, but I know this. You have not invented some new way to sin against God. It's not like you crossed some line that you can't cross back over from. It's not like you've crossed some line that God's arm cannot reach across. You have not done that, right? You have not gone too far. And you go, but pastor, you don't know what I've done. Surely God can't forgive that. Surely God doesn't love me after I did that. You don't know what I've done. No, God is with you no matter what you've done. When Jesus came to earth, when he entered human history and died on a cross, he did it for all sin. Everybody say all sin. Past, present, future. All sin was covered when Jesus came and died on the cross. His sacrifice covers it all. You have made nothing up. Galatians 5 says that 
the deeds of the flesh, sin, the sinful deeds of the flesh are evident. What that's saying is that we keep stepping in the same piles that we've been stepping in for thousands of years as mankind, right? We keep doing the same things over and over. You have not made anything up. You haven't found some new way to sin against God that he didn't think about when he was sending his son to take care of sin. God is not going, well, gee whiz, you crossed the line I can't fix. Wow, when I was planning for my son Jesus to come and all that believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life, that whole thing, when I was planning for that, we didn't really think through what you just did. We didn't really expect that. Like you have done, so you are, you've done something totally outside of the realm of what we were thinking. You're exempt from my grace. You're not included in my rescue because of what you've done. That is not how this works. It's whosoever believes, right? Whosoever believes. You're a whosoever, right? You're a whosoever. That's what you, all of you are who, everybody say, I'm a whosoever. It's everybody. If you submit and surrender to Christ for his glory and your joy, Emmanuel becomes personal. It's no longer God with us like he came to the earth for mankind, but it's God with me in my life right now. God is with me, right? God is with me. It doesn't matter what you've done. You're a whosoever. Isaiah 59.1 says that the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. The arm of the Lord is not too short to save. You cannot go to some dark corner out of his reach. Emmanuel works for everyone, every sin, every evil, every mistake, every wickedness. You can't get, it works in every place or it doesn't work at all. That's the option. This is an all or nothing kind of deal. This reminds me of the psalmist who is overwhelmed at trying to run away from God and not being able to. The psalmist goes, I run to the heights and you're there, God. I run to the depths and you're there. I go under the sea and you're there. I go across the sea and God, I still find you there. There's nowhere I can go that I can, that, that I can get away from you, God. There's no place you can go, no thing you could do that could ever change Christmas. Listen, beloved, God is with us. God is with me. God is with you. He can be with you. You can be rescued by him no matter what you've done. All you have to do to, is to confess to God that you need him. Believe that he can actually do this and then surrender your life to him. Start living for him. So Christmas means God is with us no matter what, God is with you no matter what you've done. Second, Christmas means God is with you no matter what you're going through. God is with you no matter what you're going through. God is with us all the time, but we don't really act like that, right? I mean, a lot of us have this thing where we feel God when things are going really well. Right? We got the new job. Things are going well. We got a raise. We got the new car. We're going to Disney World. Like all this good. God is so good. God's with us then. And we even declare it. But when things go bad, 
We're quick to think or even say out loud that God has abandoned us. That God is not here with us. We're quick to to rail against God in our minds. Where are you, God? My marriage isn't going the way I thought it would go. My son is not doing everything I say when I say it, right when I say it, immediately, like everybody said he would do. Parenting is actually hard, God. What? Where are you? God, I lost my job. I got demoted. I got laid off. God, where are you? God, things are so tight this year. I know it's going to be crazy. You're not going to believe this, God, but things are so tight that we don't even get to go to Disney World. Where are you? Where are you, God? Some of us live life with this shaky foundation. And it's a devastating existence because we're never tethered to anything solid. Our faith and emotions and level of peace go up and down and back and forth with the wind. God is with us, and then he's not, and then he's with us, and then he's not, and it's this back and forth and this up and down. And it's because we're basing that on our outward circumstances, right? We're basing that on our outward circumstances. If things go good, he's with us. If they don't, he's not. And it's why so many of you can look over the past few years at your walk with God and it looks like a roller coaster. It's huge mountaintops and low, low valleys, and then back up and then back down. And you look back and you're like, man, how many of those did I go through? Sometimes it was day to day, right? Yeah. You're in for a while, and then when things go wrong, you're out for months at a time, away from God, running from God. Then things get a little bit better, and you show up again. Or some of you are the opposite, where it's like, man, when things are good, you disappear. You stop coming after God. You stop pursuing God, because you're like, well, the bills are paid. I I got money for weekend trips. I got, you know, I'm going to Disney World. Everything's good. I got the new car. I'm good. And you start to drift away from God, and then when things go bad, you show back up and you ask Him for help. You see, you're doing this backwards. You're deciding the truth about God based on the circumstances you're facing instead of facing your circumstances based on the truth about God. Do you see how that's different? It's different. The truth about God, that he's with you, that he's always with you, no matter what you're going through. The circumstances you face do not change God's truth, but God's truth should absolutely change the way you face your circumstances. You guys with me? Okay, like one of you are with me. I'm going to try that again. It's Christmas. My Christmas present to me could be you guys responding during service. That would be, that'd be like a Christmas miracle right? They're like, did you see how many people said amen? That was a miracle. Let me say this again. The the circumstances you face do not change God's truth, but God's truth should absolutely change the way you face your circumstances. Are you with me on that? Good or bad, you face life, you tackle life, you handle the valleys and the mountaintops from this deep well of truth. 
So when things go bad, you're not shaking. You're not freaking out. You're not screaming that the sky is falling and everything is falling apart. Why? Because your foundation is God's truth. That doesn't change. God is with me. God is always with me no matter what I'm going through. He's with me. And when things go well, you're not forgetting God. You're not beginning to kind of think, well, I kind of got myself here into this good situation. Wow, I'm pretty awesome. You don't start to worship the gift in place of the giver. You don't do that. Why? Because you've got this truth. Your foundation is this truth that God is with us all the time. Always God is with me, right? That doesn't change. Then you face everything that happens based on that. You're tethered, solid, stable. Christmas means God is with you no matter what you've done and no matter what you're going through. Let me show you one more thing. Look at Exodus 33 with me. This is a a very popular Christmas passage in Exodus 33. That was a joke. You guys should read the Bible more. Jesus, he didn't show up till New Testament. All right, just throwing that out there. Okay. Um, I heard a guy kind of preach on this passage uh, a few months ago, a couple months ago, and uh, it kind of stuck with me. I had, it was at a conference. It stuck with me, just the, the passage, Exodus 33, and it's been haunting me. I've been reading it over and over and over, and I think it's because of today. And so uh, let me kind of set it up for you. Exodus is about the Israelites being led out of Egypt by Moses through the power of God to the promised land, although they don't get to the promised land until Joshua, right? But Exodus is about about Moses leading them out of Egypt. And and this passage we're going to read, by this time, a lot has happened in Moses' life. And he, like a lot of it wasn't super great. Okay, by this time. And so he's been through a lot. Moses was, was born at a time when Pharaoh was killing all of the Jewish baby boys. And so he, when he was born, when he came out of his mother's womb, he immediately had a, had a hit on his life, right? Like a, he had people who were trying to kill him immediately, a contract on his life. And his mom, just in kind of a desperate act of, of, just hoping for a miracle, puts him in a, in a basket and kind of pushes him down the Nile River, just hoping for something. By God's miracle, in a miracle, uh, the, the, the daughter of Pharaoh ends up picking this baby up, baby Moses, out of the Nile River. He, she takes him in as her own and begins to raise her. Moses grows up, knows he's a Jew. There's this moment where he uh, just kind of gets angry at an Egyptian for beating one of his brothers, one of his brethren, and he steps up and he defends him and he kills the Egyptian. And because of that, he, he freaks out, flees capture, flees Egypt, and ends up basically on the backside of some hill in some hick town outside of Egypt, basically becoming a goat herder. Okay, that's what he's going to do with his life is I'm just going to herd goats, okay? And so he just does that for 40 years. He does that. And then God shows up and tries to get Moses, calls Moses to go to Egypt and let his people go, right? Remember that phrase, let my people go? You got Charlton Heston. You got, aren't you glad that Charlton Heston, God showed up to Charlton Heston and did that? It was amazing. So 
God shows up to Moses, burning bush, that whole thing. Uh, Moses makes excuses, ends up going uh, to Egypt. Uh, but Pharaoh does not want to let God's people go at all. And so God does these amazing plagues, ten, ten plagues that just were crazy, right? And finally, Pharaoh says, fine, you can go. Take the Israelites and get out of here. All this time, by the way, the Israelites are not super easy to lead, right? They are complaining. They're not sure Moses is the right guy. They're going, man, we should have stepped a few times in the story. They go, just let us go back to being slaves. This is just not as good as that. We're going to die, and this is your fault. And Moses is trying to lead them. He gets them out of Egypt, and all this crazy stuff happens, right? They're thinking maybe Moses is the guy. They show up at the Red Sea. You guys know the story? Immediately, Red Sea, turn around. Pharaoh has changed his mind. Pharaoh's army is chasing them. There's nowhere to go. The Israelites immediately look at Moses and go, we told you. You should have left us alone. Way to go. Now we're all going to die. And Moses goes, no, 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 no. God wouldn't bring us here to slaughter us. Just give it a second. And God parts the Red Sea. The Israelites walk across on dry land. Pharaoh tries to follow with his army, and they drown in the Red Sea. This all happens, and even more, the people keep complaining. God provides manna from heaven, like heaven food, okay? Food from heaven, and the Israelites are like, we don't want this stupid heaven food. This is dumb. We're sick of heaven food. Give it back to heaven. We don't want it, right? And, and Moses is like, come on. Let's, this is, he's trying to get them to understand. They're complaining. They're ungrateful. He's trying to lead them, trying to get them to see that there's something deeper going on here, something greater going on here, and it's brutal. They're ungrateful, complaining, whining, always criticizing as Moses tries to lead because they're nothing like you guys. Nothing like you guys, right? Not, not even close. You guys are never like that. And Moses, he leads them to Mount Sinai, and God says to Moses that he's going to make the nation of Israel a nation of, pe- of, of priests, which means that he's not just going to have some priests in the nation of Israel, but the whole nation is going to be a nation of priests. So they're going to basically lead other nations into the presence of God. They're going to do business between God and other nations. And so he says, the whole nation is going to do this. This is my plan. And he says, I'm going to invite Moses up on Mount Sinai. You guys stay down there. Don't touch the mountain or you'll die. So the Israelites stay down. Moses goes up. God begins to give him the the law, right, on the tablets of stone. While Moses is up there, it reads in Exodus like it happens in like 10 minutes. Like it's just this ridiculous thing. But while he's up there, the people just freak out. They're just like, we don't know what to do. It's like he just walked around the corner. Where's Moses? We need help, right? They go to Aaron, who is Moses' brother, who's supposed to be with him, right-hand man. They go to Aaron and go, I don't know where Moses is. He's probably dead. So we need, 
We need a God to save us. We need a God to lead us. And Moses, or Aaron, I should say, says, okay, here's an idea. Why don't you give me all of your gold and your jewelry? And he puts it in the fire. He molds a calf, makes a calf, a golden calf for them to worship and says, this is the God who has saved you and delivered you out of Pharaoh's hands. The people begin to, mos- begin to worship that uh, golden calf. At that same time, Moses is on Mount Sinai, and he's receiving the law from God, and God just kind of stops, and he goes, you better go down. The people are worshiping a false god, and if you don't go down now, I'm going to destroy everybody. And so Moses is like, all right. So he goes down, right? He goes down. He tries to take care of it. All this happens later Aaron would say to Moses, I don't know what happened. I had some gold just tossed in the fire like I was done with it. And like this golden calf popped out. That's actually, you should read it. That's actually what Aaron says to Moses. All of this is happening. Exodus 32, there's judgment. People die for their sin against God. And that leads us up to Exodus chapter 31, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Look at verse 3. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. God says, I'll give you the land I promised you and your ancestors. I'll even send an angel to drive out your enemies before you, but I'm not going with you. My presence will not be with you like it has been up to this point. I'm done. You guys go, but I'm staying here because I'm just going to destroy everybody if I go with you. And at this time, uh, Moses had set up this tent of meeting in the camp, which was basically his way of entering into a conversation with God, inquiring of the Lord. The Bible says that, that Moses, or God rather, talked to Moses like a man would talk to a man. And so he had this special relationship with God. But he set up this tent of meeting, and he said, hey, Israelites, you guys can inquire of the Lord too. And he would go into the tent of meeting and he would meet with the Lord. When that happened, he would enter the tent of meeting and the pillar of cloud would form to signify God's presence at the door of the tent of the tent of meeting. And everybody else in the camp, all the Israelites would step out of their, their tent and they would watch as the presence of the Lord came down and they would worship the Lord as Moses Uh, met with him in the tent of meeting. And so after God says this to Moses, Moses goes into the tent of meeting and meets with the Lord, and he basically says, God, if you love me, if I've found favor in your sight, then please go with us. Please go with us to the promised land. And God says, I'll go with you, Moses. I'll go with you personally. I'll be with you. I've made a covenant with you, but I'm not going with the people. I'm not going with the people. And then look at what Moses 
says in verse 15 of Exodus 33. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be made known, or how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Do you hear what he's saying? God, if you don't go with us, don't let us go. If you're not going, I'm not going. If your presence is not going with us to the promised land and staying with us there, then I don't want to go. I don't want the promised land. He goes, if you're not going, God, I'm not going. I'd rather die in the desert than go forward without your presence. Think about this a second. Moses has been through hell at this point. He's seen these amazing things happen, but it has been unbelievably difficult. Huge valleys in this journey in Moses' life so far, right? All for one reason, to get to the promised land, to get out of Egypt and to get to the promised land that God had promised to their ancestors, to get to the promised land. That's what it was all about, and God gives them a choice. You can have the promised land, but it won't be with me. I'm not going with you. If God gave you everything your heart desires, whether that's career or family or a good marriage or money or leading thousands to Christ or health, if God gave you everything your heart desired, but not his presence. If he said, you can have all of this, but you won't have my presence, I won't be with you. If he said that to you, what would you do? Would you take it all and just leave the presence of God? Or would you be like Moses and say, no thanks? Uh Uh-uh. I'm not going anywhere without you, God. You you can take all that stuff, good as it is, you can take all of it because I want your presence. I don't want that stuff. I want you with me. Would you be like the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 who says, all that I've accomplished, all that I've gained, all the good stuff that has happened to this point, it's nothing. It's refuse. It's loss. It's trash compared to one thing, and that is knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, oh, that I could just know you, that I could have your presence in my life, that I could know you. That's all that matters. Listen, God made this possible in Jesus. He made this whole thing possible, not just for Moses, not just for the Israelites, but he made his presence, his daily presence possible for you in Jesus. He made a way for him to be with us by sending his son, Emmanuel, God with us, God with me, God with you. You see, Christmas means you have a choice. Will you live your life with God or without him? Will you live 
with God or without him, because Jesus has come. He's here, God with us. So now you have a choice. Will you live your life with God, or will you just run ahead after your own desires, your own goals, your own stuff? When I was five, and my dad said I'd be okay driving the dune buggy, I believed him, because he was there with me. I would never have done it if my dad wasn't there with me. He said I'd be all right. And listen, he was right. He didn't say I wouldn't run into a fence. He said I'd be all right if I did. And I got out of that dune buggy with with basically no scrapes. He said I'd be all right. And he, he was right. But I only got into that dune buggy because he was there with me. I knew he was there. I trusted him. Listen, God being with you, it doesn't mean that you're not going to run into a fence. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean you're not going to face difficulty in your life and tragedy. That's not what it means. Now, I've got three kids, nine, four, and almost two. And when I'm with them and they see something that scares them, what do they do? They run to me, don't they? They get as close to me as they look for daddy. As soon as they see something that's scary, if they hear a loud noise, they just run to me. If a stranger walks up and it freaks them out, they run into my presence. If I'm walking with one of them down the street, holding their hand, and they see something ahead, some people ahead that they have deemed unsavory characters, ruffians, hooligans, and we're, because that happens in Germantown Hills a lot. So we're, we're walking, and they see these unsavory characters, and I'm holding their hand. What do they do? They squeeze tighter. They move into my leg, almost tripping me. I'm like, what's going on? Oh, it's those hooligans. Don't worry, Daddy will take care of them. Right? Why do they do that? They run into my presence in times of danger or fear. Why? Because they think that whatever it is, Daddy can handle it. Daddy can handle it. Daddy will take care of these troublemakers. Daddy will fix it. Daddy's got this. They have this unwavering faith in their dad. They have this unwavering faith that they can handle anything the world throws at them as long as their daddy is with them, as long as they're in their daddy's presence. I can drive this doom buggy if my dad is with me. I can ride this bike if daddy's with me. I can jump off the edge into the pool and not drown if daddy's with me. I can win if daddy's with me. I can ace the math test if daddy says that I can ace the math test. They don't question whether I'm with them or not. If bad things are coming, they do the opposite. They run to me because they know I'm there. They know I'm with them. And what about when exciting things happen in their lives? They run to me then too, right? Daddy, you won't believe what happened at school today. Daddy, come check out what I can do. Look what I found, Daddy. Oh, that's a snake. Put it down. Put it, put it down. Good job, buddy. Right? They come to me with whatever. Good times and in bad, they run into my presence because they know I'm with them. Listen, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. 
which means God with us. That doesn't mean you won't have hard times. It doesn't mean you won't have tragedy, trial, difficulty. If you think that, it's going to send you spinning when things don't go your way. It doesn't mean that. It means God is with you through those hard times. If you'll make it through those times, you will make it through those times if you'll remember that he's with you the whole way. If you'll step towards God rather than fleeing from him in those times, then he'll be with you. You'll find him there. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're going through. God can be with you. That's what Christmas means. God with us. God with me. God with you. And listen, he was with us in Matthew 1, baby, manger, stable, shepherds, angels, the whole bit. And he's with us today. So you have a choice. Will you live life with God or will you choose to try to live life without him? Christmas gives you that choice. I've already made mine. I can't make yours for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy that covers a multitude of sins. God, we're so thankful that there's no place we could go, no sin we could commit that would keep us from your arm of rescue, that would keep us from benefiting from Jesus coming to earth that first Christmas morning. We're thankful for that, Jesus. I pray, as I always do, that whatever is of you today, whatever word is of you, God, that it would stick with us, not easily be forgotten, haunt us over the next few weeks. But whatever's of me, that it would fall to the wayside and be easily and quickly forgotten. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill this place and fill our hearts with the truth about what Christmas means, and that you would bring us to a decision point, God. Everybody in this room, whether they've been following you for years and they need to take another step towards you, closer to you, or they've never given their life over to you, they just kind of showed up here, their family of somebody who comes here, they just kind of showed up and they're not sure about this whole thing, God. Everybody in this room, I pray, Jesus, that they would make a choice to live life with you. And if they don't make that choice, that it would be abundantly clear in their heart that they are making a choice to live life without you. As you keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed this morning, this is just something we do. If you're new, if you've never been here before, we do this sometimes at the end of our services just to give us a moment. The idea is to give us a moment to just Ask the Lord in a room full of people, kind of ask the Lord one-on-one, what is it, God, that you would have me take away from this service? What is it that you would have me change in my life? What action would you have me take? What fruit do you want this to bear in my life? So with eyes closed and heads bowed, you're thinking about that for yourself, not your husband, not your aunt, not your kid, whatever. You're thinking about yourself. What? What do you want me to do, God? What what action do you want me to take? And you're asking that. As you do that with eyes closed and heads bowed, 
Maybe you're in here and you've never given your life over to Jesus Christ. You've never started following him. You, you don't know what it means that God would be with you. You've heard the Christmas story, right? But you just don't, it's not personal. It's this point, it's been kind of lofty and big and theoretical. God is with us, sure. Jesus came, yeah, but it hasn't been personal. Like I, I you haven't said, I believe. I've given my life over to Jesus. God is not just with us, but he's with me. You haven't made this personal. Well, this whole message was designed for you to make a choice today. To choose to live your life with God in it. To choose to ask God right now in this very moment. The whole service was designed to get to this moment to give you a chance, uh, an opportunity to say, God, I want to live with you and not without you. I want to give my life over to you. I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what that looks like. I've got doubts and questions. But Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come into my life and transform me that I would have your presence in my life. I don't want to go forward. I don't want to leave this place. I don't want to take another step. I don't want to go to Christmas Eve celebrations or anything else without your presence. I want to be in your presence. I want you to go with me, God. Just in your own words, begin to say that. If you want to give your life over to Christ, you don't have to have a priest or holy water or even me come and pray with you or whatever. You just be honest right now where you're at and, and just tell him that you need him, that you believe him. Ask for his help. And the Bible says he'll be faithful to save your soul. He'll be faithful to save you, that his presence will come into your life. Maybe you're in here and, you know, you don't know, you, you haven't really figured out what your problem. Up until today, you've got this emptiness, you've got this void. If you're quiet enough, if you're still enough, if the noise is off long enough, and you kind of do an inventory, take an inventory of your life and your heart, you, you'd say, I, I got this void, I got this pain, I got this emptiness, and I don't know what it is. But now you're going, I think I know what it is. It's God's presence. I don't have God's presence in my life. I haven't invited that into my life. Today, Christmas Eve is a great day to give your life over to Christ. Don't leave here. Don't leave here until you do that. And so if that's you, just in your own heart, your own mind, if you want to give your life over to Christ today, choose Jesus. Then just say this prayer with me in your own heart and your own mind. Just repeat after me. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I ask that you would come into my life and transform me. Make me completely new. Help me to live my life in a way that glorifies you. Let me never leave your presence again. Why don't you stand with me? As we close today, um, Hang in. We're not really closing right this second. Hang in for just a little bit longer. We're going to take communion together. And uh, we're also going to sing Silent Night, as is our uh, Christmas tradition. So uh, grab your communion elements. Uh, if you didn't get those coming in and you want to take communion, just raise your hand real high. And uh, the ushers will get you a communion, some communion elements. Raise your hand. Otherwise, if you have them, you can go ahead and grab them. Uh, communion is not something that we... 
uh, just do out of religious activity on religious days. Uh, We do communion because it's a symbolic reminder of everything we've been talking about, that God is with us, that he has come, that he has died on the cross for us. And so um, we do this as a reminder of that, his sacrifice on the cross, his promise to come again. Keep your hands up. Uh, Somebody will be coming in a minute with uh, some communion elements. And so this is a symbolic reminder of what Jesus has done for us. And I want to just kind of read a scripture uh, for you about communion, and then we'll take the uh, communion together. It says this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is a reminder of what Jesus has done, but it's also a reminder of Jesus' promise to come back again. How many of you are excited that Jesus is coming back? That's where our hope is. It's not, that's where our hope is. not some small thing. It's huge. How many of you are excited Jesus is coming back? Here's my prayer for you. May you rest knowing that God has come. He is here, and he will remain. May God's truth change the way you face your circumstances not the other way around. And may you trust in him no matter what you've done or what you're going through. God bless. Blow out your candles. Make sure you get to a life group this next week. Talk this over. Bring somebody with you next Sunday. And then always, like always, just like you've taken your next step towards God today, we've helped you to do that. Don't let it stop with you. Help someone else take their next step towards God. Talk to them about Emmanuel, God with us. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples Jesus followers. Thanks for coming. God bless.